This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Now, someone once shared to me that someone at church was rude to them. They asked me, why should I forgive them? Now, if you were my shoes, what would you say to this person? Somebody else in church once said, oh, you know, the Bible, people in my Bible study group, they're not like me at all, right? Uh, find it very hard to connect with them. What should you say to this person? Why should they bother? Why should we do good to others? Why should we love other people? Why should we forgive other people? It's difficult, right, to do all these things. So why do we bother to do these things? Well, as we've been looking through chapter 1 to chapter 11 of the book of Romans, it's all about what God has done for us. Right? What God has done for us. That's what chapter 1 to 11 is all about. What God has done for us. So, if you just look at these pictures briefly, right? what has God done? God has said that we are all sinners. The Jews and the Gentiles are sinners. We're all sinners and we all face God's judgment. But God, right, even though all of us face God's judgment, has taken that judgment and in His grace has sent Jesus to die on the cross so that He may take our judgment for us. And this all comes by God's grace. Right? What has God done for us? It's come by grace. God has given us grace. So last week, if you look at the next slide, it ended before the doxology by emphasizing this grace. Just as you who at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so, too, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience that he may have mercy on them all. So what has God done? God has shown all of us kindness, mercy and grace. Now in chapter 12, which we are looking at this week, it moves from what God has done for us, to what now we do in response to what God has done for us. Right? So, chapter 1 to 11, what God has done now in chapter 12 is what we do in response to what God has done for us. So, therefore, it begins in chapter 12, verse 1, by saying, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper Worship. Now we're going to spend quite a lot of time in today's sermon just looking at the individual words, right? So don't be worried, like as we know, wow, sermon is really so long, and we're like on verse two, right? Okay, because the first first two verses are very very important. Okay, so therefore shows us that what we do is in response to what God has done. So God does first, then therefore. This is what I do. Okay? So I remember at uh, university, someone uh, came to the pastor, Joshua Ng, who's actually going to be here on Thursday. Uh, oh, sorry, Monday coming, right? He's, uh, there's a gathering for overseas Christians. And asked him, said, you know, my, my flatmate keeps inviting her boyfriend over and they sleep together and have sex. Can you please speak to my flatmate to stop inviting her boyfriend over? 
So I remember uh, the pastor Joshua Ng said, well, even if I, if I speak to your flatmate and tell her to stop doing this, it's not going to save her from her sins. And exactly what reason am I going to tell her for not doing this? Because she's not a Christian, because she's not received God's kindness, because she's not received God's grace, what is the basis or the motivation for which I tell her to not invite her, you know, uh, the flatmate to stop inviting the boyfriend over? And I think that that's a very big understanding that we need to grasp in the book of Romans, right? Because what the Bible tells us is our motivation comes because we have already received grace and kindness from God. So, Christianity is not about doing good things so that we save ourselves. Christianity is about responding to God saving us first in His mercy and grace, and therefore I do something. Now, religion teaches that we do good things in order to be saved. But Christianity says, no, we receive salvation first and therefore we act in a certain way. So then, if you look at the next uh, slide, right, it says, therefore, I urge you. So here Paul is actually putting his whole apostolic authority and telling us and urging us, and actually urging is the wrong word. It's more like, I command you, I order you, I summon you. Right? You must do this in response to God's grace. Now what must you do? Well, you must offer yourselves, the next slide, as living sacrifices. Now if you look at the English, you look at your Bible, right? You think that basically there's only... Okay, you understand English, right? Okay, what is uh, an adjective? An adjective describes the noun, right? So, you know, the, the uh, hot plate, the good food, something like that, right? So actually, there are three adjectives which describe the sacrifice. Now, the sacrifice is an Old Testament picture, right? So the Jews used to offer dead animals of sacrifice to God as part of worship. Well, here, in the New Testament, it says, because of the mercy we receive from God, His divine kindness, we offer ourselves as sacrifices, and it describes that sacrifice in three ways. Living, holy, pleasing. Now, that means that what we offer to God is not dead animals, but we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. That is our spiritual act of worship. Now, some people have this mistaken idea that when I worship God, it only happens when I'm at church. Because, you know, like some people say, oh, uh, Ashley is the worship leader. So we think, okay, what he's doing is he's leading us in worshipping God, right? But how absurd is that, right? Because do you think that the only thing that God wants us to do in giving us Jesus Christ is that we sing a couple of songs and then we go home and forget about God? No, right? God expects us to give all of ourselves as living sacrifices in response to His grace. That means 100% of our, our mind, our heart, our soul, our dreams, our passions, our aspirations, our possessions, we give them all to God. You know, it's like, 
I was I always wonder why is it they called seven eleven seven eleven because actually it's not seven eleven it's more like twenty four eleven right twenty four seven right and that's what God expects of us we are meant in response to God's grace to give all of our ourselves we are living sacrifices but how are we living sacrifices we are to be holy and pleasing to God. It means that everything we do, we must ask ourselves, is this holy and is this pleasing to God? When I look at the internet, when I surf the net, when I watch my Netflix, when I go to the movie, I have to ask myself, is this holy and pleasing to God? Actually, even if I go to the toilet or so, right, I can be holy and pleasing to God because, you know, uh, I don't... Uh, if I spill on the toilet seat, I wipe it up. You know, I flush the toilet. In the way that you do everything, is it holy and pleasing to God? So I like this translation by the message. You know, there's this translation of the Bible called the Message by Eugene, Eugene Peterson, right? See, he's like, it's like everyday language. Lah. So he says, take your everyday life, your sleeping, your eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. And I think that's such a Easy way to understand it, right? In our eating, in our sleeping, in our working, in our walking around everyday life, do we give it to God as an offering? Is that, is that statement true for you? Now, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. That's why someone said that, you know what the problem of living sacrifices is? The living sacrifice always wants to crawl off the altar table. Because you know when you offer the dead sacrifice, it sort of stays there on the altar table, right? But the living sacrifice is always trying to crawl off the altar table. And that describes us. Because it is hard to be holy and pleasing to God 24 hours, 7 days a week. But that's what we are required to do as we worship God. We are not just meant to be holy and pleasing to God in the one and a half hours that we come to church on a Sunday. It's meant to be all the time. But it goes on to say that this is your true and proper worship. Now, I think this is very logical, right? So, I want to give you an illustration. There was a, in November 1997, there was, a, there was this boat called the Green Lily, right, who was caught in the storm of the Shetland Islands of the United Kingdom. She lost engine power. She was grounded in the rocks in this massive storm. There were 10 crew members there who were facing certain death, right? Because she was on the rocks, right? The other boats couldn't come and approach her to save the crew. So it was left to this Coast Guard helicopter to try to rescue the 10 members of the crew on board the Green Lily. And there was this guy there called Bill Deacon. He'd been a, like a helicopter uh, rescue person for 27 years. So he went on board the Green Lily. And one by one, they winched all 10 of the crew members up to the helicopter. And he remained on board, right? He, every time he come down, he put the strap in the on and go up. But before they could actually save Bill Deacon, he actually got washed off the ship. And he died. 20 hours, 20 hours later, they found his body. Right? Now imagine that you are one of the 10 people who were rescued by this Bill Deacon fellow. Right? You're facing certain death. 
the boats can't come and you see this helicopter come, land on the, I mean, fly above you and you see Bill Deacon coming down and, you know, strapping you on, going up one by one. And you know that he died for you. So imagine, you no, know, many months later, you're at home and you hear this knock on the door, right? Tok, tok, tok. And then you open the door and there's this guy collecting donations for the Coast Guard. What would you do? I mean, you'd obviously take out your wallet and you give your money to the Coast Guard because it is in response to the fact that this guy died to save your life, right? The Coast Guard died to save your life, right? It's the proper thing to do, right? I mean, you'd, you'd think that this guy is so in- ungrateful if he slammed the door on the face of the guy asking for donations for the Coast Guard. And that's what this passage is saying. It's saying the proper and true response of worship is to give your life as a living sacrifice to God, to be holy and pleasing. There is no other true and proper way of worshipping God but to give your life 24 hours a day, all of yourself, to be holy and pleasing to God. Now in verse 2, it tells us how we are to be holy and pleasing to God. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. There are two commands here, two imperative verbs. right? If you look up here, I made it very big for you. right? Which were the words? Conform, transform. Now, it says here, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world or this age. The idea here is like, uh, you know, when you make those uh, jelly, right? Agar, agar, or ice cubes, right? You know, you can buy these molds which have the different shapes, right? It's, it's the idea of being conformed to that shape, right? That you put the mold in. But to be molded by the world is a bad thing. In Romans chapter 1 and 2, it tells us actually that this world is very different in terms of its value system from what God wants you to have to the holy and pleasing values of God. So if you look up here on this uh, comparison, you can see that actually in chapter 1, the way the world is described is completely opposite to the values of God. So the world is described as heartless. Uh, they approve of evildoers. They are God-haters. They are arrogant. They are conceited. They have strife and malice. Whereas, as Christians, we are to be loving. We hate evil. We serve God. We are humble. We live in peace and harmony. We repay evil with good. So what our worship of God is, we, we are not to be conformed by the world. Don't let the world mold you into its shape. But instead... Be transformed. Be transformed. Now this word here, transform, is literally the Greek word metamorphosis. Okay, now that's word actually we use it in English, right? Metamorphosis. We we describe when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, we describe it as metamorphosis. You know, it's like a, tr- a total transformation from a little wiggly caterpillar into this beautiful butterfly. And that's what the word is literally trying to say. Don't be like the conform to this world but be completely different from the world. And the way we do it is by the renewing of the mind. 
renewing of the mind. Now there are three points I think that I want to draw from this verse. The first thing is, it's very sad, right, sometimes because when you look at Christians, you can't tell the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. In fact, sometimes the non-Christian seems to behave better than the Christian. Trust me, I know, because, you know, I have so-called Christian uh, contractors and uh, Christian uh, interior designers, right? Okay, so I, 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 I've learned now to not trust anybody who tells me that they're Christian, right? But it's very sad, isn't it? Because it shows that actually they are not giving their life to be holy and pleasing to God. You put the Christian and non-Christian together, you can't tell the difference, something is wrong. Because one is supposed to be transformed and the other person still conform to the world, but yet you can't tell the difference in the way they approach money, in their responsibility, in the way they tell the truth or lie, the way they treat other people, the way they work. But that's very bad, right? Because it shows us then we are not actually transformed the way God wants us to be transformed. The second point I want to make is the transformation happens first and foremost by the renewing of the mind. Now someone once said a very profound thing. You can't be renewed by what you don't know. You can't be renewed by what you don't know. And I think that's part of the problem why Christians are not transformed. It's because their minds are not renewed. So if you think about it for a while, right? if the only time you listen to God is sitting in church at the sermon, then your mind is not going to be renewed very much, right? Because you have maybe, what, half an hour of God's Word renewing your mind, but you've got like 20 hours of Netflix and your internet use feeding the other side, right? So your know, mind's not going to be very renewed because it's actually being fed to be conformed by this world. And I think that's true for many people. I remember I was discussing... Um, uh, when I was in uh, theological college, we were talking about reading the Bible regularly and people were saying, oh, you know, a lot of people say it's very hard to read the Bible regularly. But then at the same time, these very same people who say they can't read the Bible regularly seem to have no problem watching their, uh, uh, their, their daily uh, movie uh, Netflix fix every night or watching regularly their soccer uh, show every week. So, it's not about um, not enough time, it's what you do the time that you already have. Right? So, you can't be renewed by things that you don't know. Unless you allow your mind to be renewed, how then will your life be transformed right? without your mind being renewed? It's just not possible. Because you actually be molded more by the world because that's what garbage is coming into you, right? So, you know, it's like computers, right? Garbage in, garbage out, right? If you feed your mind garbage, then you, you live in a garbage way. Lah. The third point that I want to make is that the big issue is sometimes we know how we should be transformed but we choose not to be transformed. We choose to be molded by the world instead. So we've received God's grace. We've received God's kindness. We know that Jesus Christ died for us. 
But the, the, the mold of this world is so strong that we are willing to be transformed even though in our mind we know that we need to be transformed. So take for instance uh, today, right? Um, there's so many things in this world where the world is pressing us to be in this mold. Like say, uh, our understanding of telling the truth. Because you know, a lot of people don't tell the truth. Like in your workplace, maybe people lie. And you feel like, if I don't lie too, I won't get a hit. So you, you start lying. Or maybe, you know, there's pressure because the world's view of sexuality is changing. So even though you know the Bible, especially in the book of Romans, says that, you know, the, the homosexual lifestyle is bad, you, you, you feel like, well, I don't really want to be persecuted by other people, so I don't want to say that to people because, you know, it's very offensive, right? So in a sense, in so many areas, instead of being transformed by what you know, you actually deliberately choose to be molded by the world because it's difficult and painful. It's like the living sacrifice wants to climb off the altar table because it's difficult to be a transformed person. But if you have received grace, right? if you have received mercy from God, then you must give yourself as a living sacrifice. You must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the rest of the chapter really is the application of the first two verses, right? If you look at this, people say the first two verses is like the principle, right? And then verse 3 onwards is all the practice. How do we apply this wholly and pleasing in different ways? So basically there are three areas or three arenas in which we are to be transformed. The first section seems to speak about Service in church. Service in church, right? So, in verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So, we don't know exactly the situation in the church in Rome, but from reading this passage, it seems as if within the church there was ambition and rivalry, right? So, people were looking down at other people. So it seems as if some people thought that there were gifts. They were more gifted than other people. So ah, I look down on you, like your gift, very not very impressive, right? Maybe within the church there were people who wanted to acquire the gifts which seemed to have more prominence and more visibility, right? And I think that's true, can be true, right? It's like some people, maybe everybody wants to be at the front to be leading the service. Maybe everybody wants to be preaching. Maybe everybody wants to do various things, but nobody wants to stack the chairs or nobody wants to vacuum the floor or nobody wants to open and close the church. Right? So it seems as if here, <clears throat> God is saying, look, if you give yourself as a living sacrifice, all of us must use the gifts that God has given us and not be proud, but humbly serve each other. Right? All service is important. So like, 
your body, right? You know, you've got different parts of your body. You've got fingers, ears, eyes, mouth, nose, tongue, feet, whatever. No part of your body is like better than the other. Right? I mean, you, you need every part of your body to function properly, right? So in the same way as God's body, Christ's body, all of us are needed to serve one another for each other's benefit. That's how we worship God together. So I remember once uh, someone was telling me, do you know there's this rule called the 80-20 rule? Have you heard the 80-20 rule? So 80-20 rule is basically like uh, 20% of uh, the people do 80% of the work. Or like 20% of your clients give you 80% of your revenue. Something like that. Okay. And I think it, it, it can kind of like work like that in true life, right? I mean, like, if you work in office, in my office, I think some people, like, do a lot more than other people seem to do, right? The 80-20 rule, right? You know, like, wow, these 20%, they, they do, like, a lot more than the other people. But actually, within the church context, there's no 80-20 rule, right? Basically, there's a 100-100 rule, right? Everybody is gifted, right? If you look at this text, everybody has been given a gift by the grace of God. And everybody must serve one another and not look down on other people. And I think that's a very important principle because that's what it means to worship God. To serve one another without looking down on one another or desiring to have the prominent gifts. The next section, in verse 9 to 13, right, seems to speak of love within the church within the community, right? Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Speaking, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Okay, and verse fifteen as well. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Okay? Live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with other people, sorry, people of low position, do not be conceited. So here the first principle seems to be that we must love one another sincerely, genuinely, from the heart. Now this only happens when your mind is renewed because you're only able to love because we, we know the love that we have received God. It's very hard to love other people sincerely. I remember someone was telling me that they went overseas to study or to work and they visited a church, right? And at the church, someone came up to them and said, How are you? So they thought that they really meant, How are you? So they started telling them their problems and their story. Then, then the other person re- realized that actually in, in this country that they were actually, when they ask you, How are you? It's not really how are you, it's more like good morning, right? So so after a while they realize, oh no, actually the person's not really asking me how I am. They just want to say good morning to you, la. And they were really discouraged because it seems as if nobody at church really cared about their life. Like they'll come to church in the morning, they go home, everybody goes and leads their own life. But if you look at this passage, love which gives itself all to God, right? It's a living sacrifice. It's not like that, right? Because it is about loving one another, 
sharing with their joy, mourning with those who mourn, right? Uh, associating with one another, not being proud, sharing our things, being hospitable. Uh, I know that there are people who actually today are Christians because they visited church and then some couple at church invited them over for morning tea or lunch right? in some foreign country somewhere. Because practicing hospitality is part of being a living sacrifice, right? Be devoted to one another in love. Right? Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Right? Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Another person once told me about how uh, there's a group of people that he met, and he described them this way. He said, you know, uh, these, this group of people, they open their arms to welcome you, right? They say, welcome, welcome. But they never close their arms around you. Okay, this is what this person literally said. He said, you know, they open their arms, say, welcome, welcome, but, but they never close their arms around you, right? And, and I think what he was saying was that basically it's a very insincere thing, right? Because you know when you say welcome with open arms, but then when the person comes, you don't actually close your arms around them. It means that it's just a, like a show, right? For show only. But that's not what we are supposed to be like within the community. As people who are living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, we are to be genuine and put our arms and close our arms around one another in genuine care and love. Now the last section probably is the most difficult section. And I think it's actually linked with uh, verse 14. right? But if you actually notice, verse 14 and verse 17 seem to speak of uh, people outside the church. So the, the last section in verse 17 and verse 14 seem to be about speaking how do we live with people outside the church community. So in verse 14 it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 17, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now here it seems that there is a picture of people outside the church who persecute uh, Christians. Now, I, I, can you put a slide up there? I think as Christians, as it says here, as far as it depends on us, we want to live with peace with everybody, right? So that's one of the qualities that we have, right? We, 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 we want to live at peace with people. We're peaceable people. We're not troublemakers. I think if we are Christians, we shouldn't be seen as rude or obnoxious or just generally unpleasant people. We, we want to live at peace with people. But there will be people in the nature of this world where there's in, in the mold of this world who are strife, malicious, conflict-driven you know, you just go to any family dinner, any forum section of the internet, any office, you will find people who are argumentative, 
who are nitpicking, who are difficult. I, I, I remember I just came from a family dinner just last week, and my uncle is doing some renovation in his house, right? So apparently, I don't know, this is what he told me. He said, oh, you know, I asked my neighbor whether it was okay, I did all this stuff, and my neighbor said, yeah, 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 you can do everything. Then apparently the day before the contractor was come to do everything, the neighbor now is saying, no, no, I changed my mind, I changed my mind, I don't want to stop, stop, stop. So, you know, so it's like, it's like you will always have people who will be difficult, right? As far as possible, you try, but then things don't work out. But then how then should we relate to these people? Right? So if you're my uncle, should you start like throwing eggs at uh, you know, like Everett Road or something, like throwing eggs and putting searchlights and you know, spraying water into your neighbor's house? Is that what you should be doing? As a Christian, it says no, right? Because we don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. So as Christians, we don't take personal revenge it's not like you do something bad to me, I do something bad to you. right? It's like you scratch my car, I scratch your car. But instead, we actually do good, we return good for evil. And how do we do this? Well, it actually tells us that we are able to restrain ourselves. Because I think, actually to tell you the truth, there are many times where I myself struggle, like, Someone horns me on the road, I feel like horning them back, right? And you know, it's just a natural thing, right? You know? Like, that's what happens, right? You cut me off, I feel like cutting you off, right? It's a very natural human feeling. I mean, like, even when I get on the bus, right, sometimes I get annoyed because, you know, I'm, I'm queuing up and then this person cuts me off, right? But, but it's okay, lah, right? Because it says there, that God will judge the person for me, right? That's why it says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Now, in verse 20, it, it gives us a proverb, right? And it's hard to understand this proverb because we're not sure whether to take it positively or negatively, right? What does it mean to heap burning coals on your head? Some people try to say it's positive. So if I, I, I you know, if, if I do good to my enemy, I give him water when he's hungry, uh, thirsty, I, I, I feed him when he's hungry, then I heat burning coals on his head, that means he feels very guilty, maybe he becomes a Christian. I don't think it's what it's saying, like, it's actually a negative thing, because the context is negative. Uh, downstairs in my flat, there's a barbecue, right? I think if I take the coal and I put it on someone's head, it's very unpleasant, right? Burning coal is hot and painful. Right? If I put burning coal on your head, you will not thank me for it. So I think what it's actually saying is actually a negative. It's actually saying that by doing good, and that person actually does not re- reciprocate with goodness, actually it brings more judgment upon themselves. But it doesn't mean that we, that we, we don't seek to win the person over. Because in verse 14 it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse, right? So, there is still room for us to try to pray for that person's salvation, pray for this person to be saved. But ultimately, what is important is we should not do personal revenge. To, we must be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If you do evil to me, I shouldn't do, be doing evil to you because that's not right in the eyes of people. Right? 
But I think it's very important for us to recognize, and I, I know this is a, a bit of a digression, that this passage is not saying that we just excuse all sin. So recently, um, if you've been reading the news at all, you know that there's lots of scandals with the Catholic Church and the sex abuse which has been happening over decades. Right? So in Germany, in America, in Australia, there's been lots and lots of cases of sex abuse which has happened in the Catholic Church, which has been covered up for decades. This passage is not saying, oh, you've been abused by the priest? Oh, don't worry about it, right? Just forget about it. God will judge the priest. I don't think that's what it's saying, right? I mean, it's saying that we shouldn't take personal revenge, right? but it's still right for us to bring justice, let the wheels of justice judge the person. I think the context here is very much you did something wrong to me, I personally will do something wrong to you. Right? You, you slap me, I punch you back. You punch me once, I punch you twice. Right? So I don't think it's talking about where someone has done a genuine, been genuinely wrong by the church, where we just sweep it under the carpet and say, oh, just don't worry, God will judge the priest. Right? So I think as we look at this passage, I think this message is a very, very important one for us as Christians, right? As Christians, when you know the mercy that you've received from God, the proper and true worship must be to give your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. A few years ago, I met a man who had been a missionary overseas, but he no longer was a Christian and he didn't want to visit our church, even when I invited him. The reason was because apparently there was a scandal on the mission field, and he was very discouraged. Then he went back to his own church, and then he saw a lot of ungodliness in his home church. And he saw a lot of selfishness, unlovingness, and, and lack of holiness in Christians. And he was telling me, even at a few months ago, he owns a, a, a little business right now, and he gave a service to a, a so-called Christian person. And he gave a discount to this Christian person, but now this Christian person was not even going to pay him back for his services. And he said, you know, see lah, Christian lah, Christian lah. And then, basically, you know, he was just saying, oh, this is the way Christians act. Right? You see, look at, look at how they act, these Christians. They're not Christian at all. And he was just very disillusioned by Christians altogether. Lah. But I think that, you see, Romans chapter 12 says, we are not to be like those sort of Christians. Right? When we receive God's mercy, we must, therefore, we are commanded to live as living sacrifices. 24-7, we must live in this way. Right? We, we are not those Christians who so-called go to church on a Sunday. Ah, then for the rest six days of the week, we rip people off, we make promises we don't keep, we lie, we cheat, we take advantage of people. We are not, we are not those sort of people. That's not what Romans 12 is talking about. So, I hope that as we look at this passage, it's very clear for us the only true and proper worship is to give your life as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing to Him. Okay, let's close in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that truly we may live as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing before you. And that we will see that this is our proper and our reasonable 
and our true worship of you. Not just coming to church, but to be holy and pleasing to you. This is the only response to you who have given us your kindness, your mercy, your grace in sending Jesus to die for us. Anything less would be an insult to you. So we pray that in our working, in our waking, in our sleeping, in our going about our work and our life and our walking, we truly will give ourselves to you as an offering. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.